Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of College and Career Coffee Chats with your host, Delicia Alarcón, your resident Haitia and grad school fairy godmother with some cafecito. Always. I hope you grab your café, your water, your tea, your lleva mate, your wine, if it's after hours, to listen in on this conversation about college and career, following your bliss, figuring out what you want to do in life, eliminating the gatekeeping and the fancy big words that we use in higher education and corporate settings to really gatekeep first-gen and BIPOC individuals. So I hope this podcast serves as a space where you feel heard, seen, and safe to have all these conversations and ask all the hard questions and the big questions. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of College and Career Coffee Chats. Today, I'm so, so excited to have Molly Hitchin here. We're going to talk about our journey and how we connected and how we met. Um, But before we do that, I want her to introduce herself and then we'll dive deep into uh, the nuances of how we connected, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, She is an HR consultant, so I'm really excited to have her perspective to all the things that we talk about in terms of career development and student development. I'm trained in terms of like student approach and how to work in higher education and be on kind of like the nurturing side. Um, So it's exciting to see the other side of who we're kind of applying towards and who reads the stuff. So um, Molly, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. And thank you for having me. Um, Delicia and I actually met on TikTok, which is really awesome. So I know that, you know, sometimes people say that social media is bad for you and social media is a waste of time, which that's partly true, but you can meet amazing content creators and amazing women anywhere. So I'm super glad that we met on TikTok because it's been really fun. Um, But my name is Molly. I'm an HR consultant in Salem, Oregon. And I'm 38, so I've been in the workforce since high school. Um, (laughs) I've lived in Oregon my whole life, but I've traveled. And I actually, I am an HR consultant. I have over 50 clients, but my path into HR was really not traditional. So for a lot of people who want to get into HR or who are struggling to get into HR, you can totally do it. My path was not traditional. So my first job out of college was at a mortgage company, and it was terrible. (laughs) Is not for me. It's a great yeah. career. And it's totally not for me. You don't want me doing your mortgage. Um, <laughs> no numbers on at, this podcast. <laughs> and I was actually, excuse me, so bored at that job. So I was 22. The youngest person in the office was 50. So to go from college to that kind of a work environment was really difficult for me. Um, And then I would go to the mall actually on my lunch and walk around because I'd be sleepy. So I'd go walk (laughs) around and I got recruited by Abercrombie and Fitch to do their manager and training program. So in my mind, I'm like, I don't really want to work for Abercrombie, but management experience, like, why would I turn that down? I thought I'd do it for a year and move on, but (laughs) I managed stores and then I did their rehab team, which is where they had a team of people rehabilitate the worst performing stores in the company. So I learned a lot about business operations and they actually had us do staffing. So we would fly into a city and recruit on site to staff stores. And I worked for two retail retail companies actually. And both of those retail companies didn't have HR on site. So like Home Depot and Amazon 
they have HR on staff 24 seven around the clock. So if there's an, mm-hmm. if there's an HR issue, the manager on duty and the HR person will work on it together. But I worked for Abercrombie and then old Navy and they did not have local or regional HR. So all of those duties fell to me. So that's how I started to learn HR was someone shows up to work drunk or someone needs coaching or someone's stealing and you need to investigate or someone, you know, needs time off through FEMLA. I learned all of that through working as a retail manager. And then unfortunately I got super burnt out. I was always a perfectionist and a super hard worker. My parents really taught me to be a hard worker and Mm -hmm. I wasn't taught how to manage stress really. Mm -hmm. So I got burnt out and I left the workforce for four years and taught yoga full time. Um, I I I still teach yoga, but it gave me a chance to undo some of the things that I needed to undo, like stop being a perfectionist. It takes time to, un- it takes time to unpack that. I also got divorced. Yeah. Was, that was hard. Um, but it meant that when I wanted to come back into the traditional workforce, I was actually more ready. I was more equipped. Mm-hmm. And then I got a job as a career transition manager, helping low-income youth and marginalized populations obtain work and then maintain work. So I'd help them with job skills and applying and then maintaining employment. And then I got a job in healthcare as an HR business partner, which if you're interested in HR and HR is a very senior role, it's a tough role, but I love that. I love that role. So I love employee relations. It's not for everyone, Mm -hmm. but investigations, policies, creating new policies when employment laws pass, you know, helping with training, org design. I love all of that. And then I actually got recruited off of LinkedIn for the job I have now as an HR consultant. So your LinkedIn and your social media can be really important. Yes. I love, yeah, I love all of that um, nuance of understanding how untraditional everyone's experiences are. And kind of, like you said, take time to unlearn all the things that we've been socialized to believe that we go to college and then it's like a linear track and it's like, oh, there's some bumps on the road (laughs) and normalize that for, for people, not just students in in, uh, undergrad, but like anyone in the workforce. When I'm like, I was like most college kids. I went to college to be a Spanish teacher. That's what I (laughs) wanted to do. And guess what? I didn't do that. And then what do you do, right? Like when I'm in school realizing like maybe I don't want to be a Spanish teacher, I didn't have another idea really. I mean, in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a psychologist, which is a totally different story, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, me and my Bachelor of Arts wasn't really going to be a psychologist anytime soon, to be perfectly honest. Um, So... I had no idea I wanted to work in HR. I didn't know that I wanted to work for two retail companies where recruiting and HR and managing large teams would be something I wanted to do. I didn't know I'd be traveling full-time for two years. Like I didn't know I would want to do yoga or teach yoga. So I think some of it is for me, I'm a planner and I'm a perfectionist. So when I know what I want to do and I have a plan, it's good. And then things change and I just didn't know. So That's so funny. I I was a psychology and Spanish double major and I was going to do psychology, but then I became a Spanish teacher and then I was like, 
just kidding. I don't. I mean, I love Spanish. I love teaching Spanish, right? It's my first uh, language with English. So I speak Spanish at home, but I'm like, well, I don't want to do this. And like, right now, even though now as a career coach, I bring a lot of what I learned as a Spanish teacher to like implement pedagogically and all the stuff. But um, my journey, somehow we ended up with career and like um, supporting people in that process. So that's really, I don't know if funny is the word, but I guess serendipitous that we connected. Yes, (laughs) absolutely, yep. Yeah. So what I would do, just so everyone knows, is I would, yeah, I yeah. didn't make TikTok videos at all. I would just find <laughs> videos that I didn't agree with <laughs> and I would post them on my Instagram and I would say, this was all bad information. Don't listen to this. Here's the real information. <laughs> and then I found a couple content creators on TikTok that actually gave like really good information, including Delicia. And I posted her video and I was like, no critiques. And everyone was like, but you always critique videos. And I was like, no, she's really good. <laughs> and then we connected. We're yep. doing something right. Yes. Yes. And that's just, man, I wish people knew that not everything you see out there that's career advice related or HR related, like it's not all good advice. It's really yeah. not. Yeah. And it's people kind of saying from, I guess, their lived experience or one off experience that might have worked, but it's yep. not the generalized information that maybe should be taught or shared. Um, but the video that I posted was on a whim. Like I saw it on Twitter, this screenshot, and I was like, let me post this and see what happens. Because it starts a conversation because I've been thinking about it too with do we want more information in the process or do we want to leave in the job application process or do we want to leave some um, as we go through the interview, learn more. And the tweet was um, if your salary is so competitive then just post it. So it's about salary, salary ranges and competitive salary. What does that mean? And it went viral. It, I think it has 56,000 views now. And so many people like stitched it, duetted it or like, there's so many comments. I, I still have to read through all of them and kind of respond. But Molly was the first person to stitch it. And I was like, wait, this is something that we should talk about and, and like expand it more than just a minute off of what TikTok allows us to do. Because there's more nuance to it, right? Okay. Which I think is what happens in the comment section. It's like it goes back and forth. Um, but a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about salary ranges. Yeah, including me, <laughs> including me. And there's some other content creators on TikTok that I 100% respect their opinion and they put out yeah. good information. And we even disagree just on this one issue. And we're still all friends, of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, the salary thing, man. I So I'm in Oregon and Oregon has its own pay equity law that passed in 2017. And I think eight other states have passed some kind of pay equity law. So We know that there are some federal laws about pay, like there's a federal minimum wage and things like that. But I think that people will see that more and more states, probably blue states first, red states more likely last, but (laughs) states will start to pass more updated laws on pay that protect women and minorities and protect people from being discriminated against with pay. And Mm -hmm. pay is going to be, I mean, we already talk about pay a lot. It's it's a big subject, but it's going to be more of a subject. Yeah, I saw a lot of people posted that in Colorado, the law changed as well. Um, I haven't read in depth about it, but um, they were mentioning that. And 
I was like, oh, I need to do research on where like the states where my students are and like go more in depth. Um, but I saw, I also posted the video on my LinkedIn to see any colleagues if they would respond. And someone I taught with in um, South Carolina where I did my um, teaching, she said that she doesn't agree with it because it might stop some people from actually applying to the job because they might not think that they are worthy of that salary, right? So let's say it's a range. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because it's like a money mindset, money worth kind of conversation where we already know the data where some women don't apply to some jobs because they don't meet 99% of the requirements, whereas men meet like 30%. They're like, yeah, I'm ex- an expert. I'm going to do this. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, I have to talk to Bali about this because <laughs> it's a different kind of layer to the conversation. Yeah. So my personal and personal opinion. So Delisa yeah. and I have already talked about that there are, there's really good advice out there. There's, there's yeah, advice yeah. that's not so good, but you always have to keep in mind that just as an example, if you come to an interview with pre-written questions that you're going to ask at the end, they may sound really out of left field and really <laughs> random depending on how your interview goes. And, you know, there's great guidelines on how to do a resume, but an individual hiring manager may have their own preference or a recruiter may have their own right. preference. So, there is great advice out there. You just want to keep in mind that a hundred people could say your resume is perfect. And then three hiring managers could say, well, I just don't like it. It's like, well, okay. What makes it not like it? Is it the moon cycle today? Yeah. So there's, always that. There's, there's the human part of it that some people like things a certain way, whether that's like an industry standard or not, but Yeah, with the salary thing, my opinions are considered very progressive. Mm -hmm. So for people out there listening, (laughs) this might not be a popular opinion yet, but I am someone who I understand that just as Delicia said, men will see on average, men will see a job description and they kind of sort of maybe almost qualify and they'll totally apply. Women on average tend to not do that. So in general, I recommend that if you meet half of the requirements apply. You know, my HRBP job, so I went from making 45,000 to making 87,000. That's how big of a bump that I got when I went from working on a government contract to working in HR as an HR business partner. And I didn't meet the qualifications on the job description. I didn't, but when I read them, I knew I could do them. So the job Mm -hmm. description wanted I think seven to 10 years of HR department experience. I'd never worked in an HR department, but all of the duties that it said the job would do, I had done all of those. So Mm -hmm. I applied and I got rejected immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately, thanks, no thanks. Um, But a couple of months later, the hiring manager actually called without even emailing me, just randomly called and and asked if I was still interested. Um, so it's just a testament to you may not be the most qualified, but they may interview the most qualified on paper and not like them. And that's what right. happened to me. Absolutely. But, for, but for salaries, I've been a recruiter and, and I've been an applicant, of course. And it's <laughs> not fun to apply for a job where maybe you didn't know that it was way like above where you're at, not just in terms of money, but in terms of 
impact and responsibility. And maybe you weren't ready, but the way the job description was written, you didn't know. So like for me, we know when I was 23, I may not have applied to a six figure job, <laughs> but I actually did a couple times because the job description was somewhat vague and it looked cool and they laughed at you. <laughs> but then there's the unfortunate flip side where you find a job you think is awesome. You apply, let's just say you're making 50,000 and like their max is 50,000 and you're hoping for you know, an increase. And generally that leads to like everyone wasted their time. The applicant wasted time applying. We wasted time with a phone screen. The recruiter wasted time. They could have been pursuing other applicants. So I'm a big mm -hmm. fan of posting the full range on a job description. And other HR people, even ones I respect, on yeah. <laughs> they disagree because their philosophy, and this is really good for people listening, yeah. that when a yeah. candidate yeah. sees the max of the range, like let's just say 50 to 80, Every, their idea is that every candidate gets emotionally attached to the max of the range, 80K. And if they don't get it, they're offended or upset or kind of heartbroken. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't agree. I think that a good recruiter and a good organization, honestly, like an organization that acts in the spirit of transparency, that has recruiters that can explain this, can mm -hmm. easily say, gosh, we're so happy you applied. Love to set up a phone screen, whatever. And then say, hey, this is our range. This is what it takes to get the max number. As an example, it takes 10 years of direct experience to get the max number. It takes five years experience to get the midpoint. And then we give X amount more if you have a degree or a certification or this special skill. I mean, I think any applicant would be like, okay, that sounds fair and logical. And it also doesn't sound discriminatory. Now does it? Because mm -hmm. if I know you're gonna base my compensation off of my experience, my education, a skill that I have, I don't feel like I'm getting the short end of the stick. And I've always right. been against giving people more money because they negotiate. Mm. Because what does that have to do with your job? If you right. want to be, you know, an old Navy store manager, which is somewhere that I worked, I don't have to negotiate to do that job. I don't have to be a skilled negotiator. So why should I get more or less because I negotiate? Now, I do not want your audience to tell a hiring manager that they shouldn't have to negotiate or <laughs> they should post their ranges. This is very progressive thinking in the HR world yeah. and a lot of HR people think they think I'm they think radical. I'm yeah. Radical in not a good sense. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point to manage expectations, right? If the recruiter and the company are transparent and they'll say these are the midpoints, then I think the student or the candidate will understand that and be able to process that. And that's actually really good information because the question I get all the time is like, well, how do you determine 80K or 70K or 50K? And I always say, well, if it's an experience, it's years, it's what, how much do you match what's on the application? Um, what can you like grow into, right? Because we also don't want to meet a hundred percent because we're supposed to grow into the role that we're applying to, right? It should be scaffolding your experiences, yes. or at least that's how I teach career I development. Think, yep. Um, but I this agree. podcast is very progressive, very radical thoughts over here. So <laughs> <laughs> anything you say, I think is the, the people who are listening are going to feel heard and feel seen. And that's, their ideas aren't as like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and kind of the reason why I started this platform so we can have these conversations. Um, and any other radical ideas? <laughs> well, to build on that, 
How many people wonder if they're paid fairly or they want, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe one person, and another person, both have five years experience and then they find out they make a different amount. Mm. It's not a good feeling, right? I mean, I, people like to feel like and believe that they're paid fairly. And I'm putting that in quotes because a lot of people will say they're not paid fairly and they can't articulate why they simply want more money, which isn't bad. I get it. But, right. you know, someone saying, I don't think this is fair. It's like, well, I'd want to know why first. Um, but imagine what it would do to a work environment for a company to be transparent. Not that they list out what everybody makes, but this is how we pay. Our pay philosophy mm-hmm. is this. And companies value different things, right? Like some companies want experience, some want education, some want loyalty. Some companies mm-hmm. want to pay you more for every year you're an employee with them mm-hmm. to have a higher retention rate, which I, I don't hate any of those. And some want to pay you based on performance, which also good or a combination, right? Like right, you get right. this much for experience and this much for a certification and then you get X amount more for performance. But imagine if everybody knew how they were paid versus, well, they gave me this and I just took it or they gave me this and I asked for a dollar more and they said, fine. I mean that, cause honestly the times I've negotiated and they give me more money, you wanna know what I think? They were trying to take advantage of me. Is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm young or I look young? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, were they trying to lowball me? Should I have asked for more? And right. I don't, I don't like those feelings. Exactly. And it's hard to know what exactly the number is if you're going to negotiate, right? Um, and like you said before, it's, it's pretty shitty if someone gets more money just because they know what to say or how to say in a negotiation meeting when maybe your negotiation skills aren't what you need 100% in the job, right? You need other skills. But how do you determine that, especially if someone holds a marginalized identity, they might not, or first gen, and they don't have experience from family members telling them this is how you show up in a negotiating meeting, or this is how you advocate for yourself, or this is how you ask, or how do you present your experiences so you do get maybe the higher end of that range. Um, so all those new nuances come into play. And unless the job description requires you to be a good negotiator, I don't think that negotiating should be a reason why you get more or less. And there's a ton written about how, when it comes to negotiating, women and minorities don't do as well as men. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we're still having to negotiate, which I can certainly help people with as I'm sure you can too. It's just, I wish it wasn't that way. Right, right. That it would automatically be given without having to show up as a negotiating skill in that meeting. And I wish companies were either transparent about how they pay people, or I think a lot of them don't have a very defined philosophy. And Mm -hmm. I wish they would just say like, we're going to get, you know, we, we value seniority and experience, or we value these certifications and seniority or we value performance and we pay based off of those, then people know because, you know, people want to trust their boss and their company and their work environment. And when they don't, things start to deteriorate with a whole team, not just with Mm -hmm. one person. Yeah, absolutely. All the different levels and layers (laughs) to understand. Yep. Having said all of that, how would you define HR? 
Mm. What is HR? What is that? And kind of HR consultant or HR recruiter, because I think students and candidates on the on this side, I guess, of the aisle of understanding the job application process, they're really scared of talking to recruiters, consultants, anyone that has HR in their title um, <laughs> and recruiting. I mean, not recruiting, what's the word? Oh, networking. They mm-hmm. just they just really don't want to do it. And here I am making TikTok dances and like try to make it fun for them so they can yeah. So the wall can come down and the and the kind of um, myths that exist can come down. That's why I think what you're doing, what the other creators are doing is amazing because they can see the face to a title and to a name and be like, okay, they're real people. They're not going to eat us. Like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I know. So I haven't always been in HR, first of all. Yeah. I, didn't, yeah. in, I didn't get a role in an HR department until I was... <clears throat> 32 or 33, something like that. Yeah. Um, so I didn't spend my whole career in HR. So I know what it's like to get nervous when HR comes around. I, <laughs> I know. Um, you just think, you know, people associate HR with being in trouble and I get it. Um, you know, that we're like the police or that we only care about the company and we don't care about employees. And I think to a point, if a field has a misconception at some point, they need to take some responsibility for that misperception. Like if people Mm. think I'm mean, (laughs) I need to manage my, sorry, I don't know if you can hear my dog, but (laughs) she's just behind me. But if people think I mean, I need to manage that perception and HR needs to do the same thing. And it's important to keep in mind, HR, like we're not marketers. Like, (laughs) How many social media influencers do you know that work in HR? Like, <laughs> it's not, you know, we're not generally the warm and fuzzy department. But I will say, as new people come into HR, and I don't just mean younger, I mean people who are just now getting into HR, whether they're later in their career or earlier in their career, they, if they're younger in age, they tend to have more interest in treating people really well and not just being the department of no and people getting into HR maybe later in their career have probably experienced HR as like the police or an unfriendly group of people. And I think they're committed to not doing that because that was their experience. So in my opinion, the more people get into HR, whether they're younger, older, new in the career, later in their career, the better because HR used to be called personnel, like how, (laughs) how, you know, sterile can you get in personnel, right? (laughs) That just sounds terrible. And I do joke with people, like, if you like to get invited to parties, you might not want to go into HR. Like, people see you coming and they, like, run the other way, you know? Like, if I walk into someone, like, if I walk into a break room, people, like, finish their lunch and leave. And that's, that's just my title, right? But it's not different than if, if you see a police officer behind you in your car, you immediately, like, like get nervous. So I think that HR has a responsibility to do itself a favor and be more relational and take more time. And we need more people getting into HR that have different experience or that, you know, have grown up being a little bit afraid of HR and they get into HR and want to do it differently. So HR is a business function. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's a business function. And a lot of people think HR protects the company. 
And it really depends on the role you're in. You know, when I was an HR business partner in employee relations, there are times I protected managers from employees and then employees from managers and employees from employees. And there were times where the company messed up and it's like, let's fix it. Um, Mm -hmm. But people tend to think that HR only cares about the company and it's really not the case. And if that was someone's experience, you know, there's bad people in HR, just like there might be a bad doctor, a bad police officer, you know, a bad server at a restaurant. Um, There's, there's bad people in every profession and something that like the reason I've been successful without a ton of direct HR experience is because I know the information I need to know, but I'm also not miserable to be around. Like, (laughs) you know, a client calls and they're like, something really bad happened. I'm not like, how could you let that happen? I don't judge them. It's just like, let's make this better. Right. And just like, I have a feeling it's similar to maybe you have a teacher who's been teaching for 30 or 40 years and maybe they're jaded and maybe they're a little crabby. Maybe they were never really taught how to relate to people of a different background. And then the generation gap gets bigger Yeah. versus the teacher who's 25 or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, who just is starting to teach and they're really interested in students experience aside from learning. And I think it's, (laughs) I think it's similar. You know, we've all had amazing teachers and teachers that are terrible and we can all define what that difference is. They make you feel valued, important. They listen, they help Mm -hmm. and they love what they do. And, you know, there are people in HR who don't love what they do and they're crabby. I work with them. They don't like like what you do. Get another job. It's not my problem. Like, don't yeah. be grumpy to this person. Like they came to you needing help and you weren't friendly. Stop it. And it takes people saying, stop it. Yeah. If you can't do what you do in a friendly way, stop it. Yeah. Figure out how to either pivot, move out or um, deal with it in another way because yeah. that other person, it's not the other person's fault that you're, you don't, you hate your job basically. Yeah. And I think people fail to understand that HR is a business function right? and there's a lot of parts to HR. There's benefits and, you know, administering retirement plans. I don't do any of that. (laughs) Sometimes payroll is in HR. I also don't do payroll. (laughs) I don't don't know a lot about payroll. Um, And then you have the generally HR is in two or three units or businesses or departments, whatever you want to call it. And there's Mm -hmm. usually the talent management side, which is like recruiting, um, training and education, org design, business partners, employee relations. And then you have the total reward side, which I don't like the word total rewards, but that's like the new new name, HR trying to rebrand itself. But total (laughs) rewards is like your compensation, your benefits, your 401k, and then data typically. Payroll may float somewhere in there. Sometimes payroll separate. And then you have DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sometimes that's like that third department. Sometimes it lives outside of HR or it lives under under or alongside talent management. You -hmm. see it a bunch of different ways, but something else important is people think I work, people, when they know I work in HR, they assume that I know everything about benefits (laughs) payroll, employee relations. And I have to tell people those are their own field of expertise and to don't, don't water them down because 
if you assume I know it all, you just watered down all of these fields. Like there are people who spend their entire career in payroll or benefits and they're experts in what they do. And I am not anywhere close. (laughs) You don't want me answering questions about your benefits plan or your retirement (laughs) plan or payroll. I mean, I know how to get someone a final check, but with all the deductions and what you do with garnishments and how to set up a PTO plan in the system, don't know. <laughs> so I think it's important that people understand that HR is a business function. HR doesn't make right. money. Like we don't sell a product that makes money, but we mm-hmm. support the rest of the organization to run. So they make money. We do tactical work and strategic work. So we do tactical work in the moment, like, Hey, help me with this form. Hey, redo this policy. We prefer to do strategic work. So we're looking down the road and planning and doing that, you know, the work that helps you mm-hmm. versus running behind. So we prefer to be proactive versus reactive, but HR always involves tactical and strategic work. HR is a business function. Just because you work in HR doesn't mean you're going to know all of those fields of expertise and don't mm-hmm. assume that you can be an expert in all of them. Cause I'd, I'd really question if you can or not. Uh, <laughs> and rather than say you want to go into HR because you like people, um, I would hope that anybody says that unless they want to be a business of one and, <laughs> and sell nothing. Right. Um, we want everybody to like people. Yeah. <laughs> but I know I I've seen that a lot. It's like, if you are a people person, join HR. And I'm always like, yes. And yes, but, and also there are like different levels to that. It's not just one, you don't wear all the hats. And I love how you're explaining the different sections of it. Well, like, name a company that wouldn't want to hire a people person. I mean, like, I'm sure it exists. But in general, like, most companies are going to want you to like people because you're either working with like customers or clients, or you're working with employees, and they don't want you to be the problem child. Right. So, I mean, I can't necessarily tell someone why they'd want to go into HR, but I wouldn't have your answer be because you're a people person. (laughs) (laughs) We would hope everyone's a people person. We're on this earth for a reason. Yeah. And I personally, because I'm in this field, I don't want people in it who want to gatekeep. And I don't want people in it who want to act like the police or the department of no. It's, yeah, we have to tell people no, but can we find a better solution? Can we do it in a way where they don't feel like HR never helps me? Um, Or every time I go to HR, it backfires. I hear that a lot. And it's like, Mm. I don't want that to be someone's experience. Um, Mm. But I got into HR because I really, I really like making things better um, how I can. And I really like difficult situations where I can treat people with respect. Like, yeah, I have to sit and terminate people sometimes or sit with a hiring manager and terminate someone. And can we do that in a way that's respectful and compassionate? Most of the time mm-hmm. you can, sometimes you can't. <laughs> sometimes people are really mean. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I can do things a nice way. And if nice doesn't get it done, I can do things a, a different way. But <laughs> I like to lead with nice and I like to be as collegial and genuinely interested and compassionate as I can. And I think HR is missing that, but I think we're getting better. I think mm-hmm. we need more people who are interested in being compassionate without you know, any side suffering. Like you don't wanna be so compassionate that you give someone things you shouldn't give them, but you mm-hmm. don't wanna be 
not compassionate enough to where they feel like HR doesn't care about me or right. I, you know, someone comes in with a genuine problem and they feel brushed off. That would horrify me. Like I'm comfortable telling people, no, I can't give you this or I can't do what you want, but I don't want them to think that I didn't care and that I didn't listen. Right. And it's a fine line because everyone's going through, especially now, like there's so many things happening in the world that we're like in, in a fine line with everything. Um, but I think it's pretty basic, uh, or not family, um, human communication, right? To make sure that they feel heard and seen and that you're listening and that you're trying to find the best solution. But if it doesn't work out, then what? I wish it was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wish it was that easy, but humans, you know, we're, we're an interesting bunch over here on earth. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, bosses, regardless of the level that you're at, and HR, anyone who's a decision maker and who gets to decide, you know, how, which way we're doing things and when and how, those people forget that their employees used to be children. And people's childhood show up at work, even when they're adults. And, you know, not everybody had the childhood that this other person had, and not everybody had a great childhood. And even when you're an adult, people need to remember that people's childhoods and personal lives show up at work Mm -hmm. and, you know, having personal tenants, like assuming positive intent. Like if you think that everybody walking down a hallway is looking at you negatively or giving you a dirty look, like you're probably a difficult person to work with. If you're assuming the negative versus assuming, Oh, that person had a negative expression on their face. According to me, they're probably just hungry or they have a headache or they didn't sleep well last night versus saying it's because they don't like me. Mm-hmm. So I have to encourage employees all the time when there's drama at work. I don't tell them just knock it off because that's not helpful. But I always try to teach people that it's okay to disagree. It's okay to not like something. It's okay to voice that you're unhappy and you knew you need to do it in a way that's collegial. So like mm-hmm. I have employees march into my office and they're like, this policy is, you know, shitty and I hate this and and whoever made this is stupid and and it shouldn't be this way <laughs> and I'm always like or you could come into my office and say hey I've got some questions about this policy or I've got some concerns about it do you have time to talk about it with me like which person would you rather work with right mm-hmm. like both of them are going to get an explanation of what the policy is and whatever but generally people are more willing to help someone when they're not abrasive and they're not putting someone on the defense by being offensive. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have to teach managers and employees to assume positive intent and to voice frustration, but to do it in a collegial and comfortable way. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, an easy exercise is you can say happy birthday, or you can say happy (laughs) birthday, or you can say happy birthday. I'm saying the same things. Right but my tone and my voice prosody, you know, how I'm delivering that message are different. Right. And then assume positive intent. And then what I was demonstrating with the, Hey, I have a question about this policy. Can you help me? That's humble inquiry. It's a book and it really teaches people to, instead of saying, this is stupid. Why is it this way? Or I don't like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can tell my voice, like if I sounded like that frequently, you would not want to work with me. <laughs> But when someone says, hey, I saw this new policy rolled out. I've got, I've got some concerns about it. Do you have time to talk about it? That's going to go a lot better. And if you're the coworker who's like, oh, coworker, I saw you helping a, 
a, a customer that way, I was doing it a different way. You know, am, am I doing it wrong versus you're doing it wrong and I'm going to tell on you. <laughs> like, <laughs> which persons will have more success in the workplace? So, right. and this isn't just an employee issue. Managers do this too. They just walk by and they're like, stop doing it that way. And it's like, or you could ask your employee, hey, I noticed you were doing this this way. I'm curious why. Does it work better for you? Did you just not know that I wanted it done this way? Like, I just want to talk about it. That makes a happier employee. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of like what I teach employees and managers. Like you can certainly walk by and say, knock it off, stop doing that. But what do you think over time is going to lead to a, a better environment? Mm -hmm. Happier employees and happier managers make more money. They do better work. They take yeah, less yeah. sick time. You know, they are more likely to be loyal if that's something that a company values. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It reminds me of that book. Um, we learned everything we needed to in life in kindergarten or something like that it's called, but it like yeah. talks about the playground and those examples of yeah. like what happens and how we bring our ourselves, we bring our inner child to work and to mm -hmm. all the places we bring them to the supermarket. And that goes into like deeper, I guess, shadow work of inner child, um, like yeah. wounds and having to process that and, um, having to connect that to the world of work. And it's interesting because we saw this past year, work and life was blended, was like meshed together because of what's happening with the pandemic and figuring out how do we have a work-life balance, but understanding that it's all intersected. Like we don't, we might have a work hat or a home hat or whatever, but we're still ourselves and we still have our personalities, but it's about communication and what are better words to use, um, not only at work, but like at school, um, yeah, undergrad and college. So that's really great um, advice to kind of get candidates and students to think about, okay, number one, if they're interested in HR, what does it actually mean? Not like, not all the hats, but like which part of HR? And then number two, not be so afraid to, uh, talk to HR, I think is something that I always talk through with students day in and day out, not only in the recruitment process, but when they're actually at work and supporting them through transitioning into the work environment. And then three, um, ask questions and really not be afraid of, or like demystify um, the yeah. HR person. And yeah. that's kind of the goals I had with bringing Molly on and talking and uh, sharing all her nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just, I see so many problems in workplaces and on teams that are so deep seated. And, you know, another one, cause I've talked about humble inquiry, inquiry and assuming positive intent, but another one is something called the platinum rule. So we've all hold of, heard of the golden rule, treat people how mm -hmm. you want to be treated. Right. The problem is that doesn't foster diversity. It doesn't foster difference in thought. You know, mm. let's just take introverts and extroverts. Mm -hmm. Does an introvert want to be treated like an extrovert? No, mm. no. Like some people cannot wait for their birthday and they want to celebrate it at work and they want a cake. And some people are like, I would be horrified if you wish me happy birthday at work. None of those are wrong, but yeah. 
the golden rule is treat people how you want to be treated. Well, not everyone wants to be treated how I want to be treated. So the platinum rule is treat people how they want to be treated, which is something that I have to talk to employees and leaders about. And that requires that you get to know people. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to do that, you're probably going to have problems at work, whether you're the boss or an employee, because if you don't know who you work with, you will unintentionally offend them, hurt their feelings turn them off in some way. Um, and over time, you know, it snowballs. It's like that example of if you're one degree off on your compass and you're on a hike, you're going to end up like super far away over time, just that one degree. And it's teams that have a lack of the platinum rule. So getting to know people and treating people how they want to be treated, mm-hmm. which again, requires me to make a change. I mm-hmm. have to change how I am in order to help other people be comfortable. And then people say, oh, so how I am isn't good enough? Like, you don't want me to be who I am? And it's like, nope. (laughs) No, it's that someone who is skilled and wants to be more skilled will learn how to adapt their personality. And that doesn't mean faking it. It doesn't mean not being yourself. It means that if I'm an introvert and I work with extroverts, I need to remember how they may want to be treated, which is different than me. That's skill. It's not me ignoring who I am. It's skill. It's just, you know, we don't all want to be treated how other people are. And then Mm -hmm. humble inquiry, platinum rule, uh, assuming positive intent, those things over time make such a positive difference. And any individual who can demonstrate those skills and those behaviors, they're probably going to do really well. Because Mm -hmm. people think if they're technically good at their job, Mm -hmm. that they're good. And I have to tell people, you have to be technically good at your job. You also have to have good behavior. Sorry. Like I could be the smartest (laughs) HR person ever. And if people don't like working with me, I will have zero clients. I will have zero. No, same with you. You can be the most knowledgeable person. And if people don't like working with you because they're not comfortable around you or, you know, they don't feel like you listen they're not mm-hmm. going to work with you. Right. That's, that's so true in, in every level, right? And in, in the workforce, at school, um, and being compassionate towards understanding, this is how you want to be treated. This is how I will show up in that behavior. And then understanding and communicating too, like, how do I want to be treated? And I think that's also where we need to grow, I think, as a society is like understanding how do we communicate Number one, understand how you want to be treated. Number two, communicate that might be different for me. And there's mutual understanding for both of that um, or for both of those things. So um, I think this is really good information for students who like just they don't like when you say HR, they literally run. They're like, so I I tell people. If you want to get invited to parties, like don't go into HR because <laughs> NHR parties aren't usually that fun. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this is great. Uh, hopefully this chat and this conversation will start to like peel back the layers and open the curtain and kind of demystify everything. Um, as we kind of wrap up our conversation, what is one thing you would tell your younger self as it relates to work, college, anything in uh, in general? Hmm. I definitely, so I grew up 
in a very fundamental Christian church mm-hmm. that was very restrictive and very judgmental. And, you know, anytime you did something wrong, you'd be told you're going to hell. It was very stressful. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't right for me. <laughs> and it bred perfectionism in me because, you know, if I did anything wrong, like the church would judge you. And, um, and I, you know, not that I think going to a dance or having a glass of wine is wrong, but if a church thinks it's wrong and then they know you do it, you know, you've got a church kind of breathing down your neck, which was hard. For right. me. So it bred a sense of perfectionism in me. And I think it's great to be really conscientious about your work and to do quality work. Certainly I don't want people to be sloppy and to just not finish things so they can leave early. Like I'm not advocating that, but right. I learned from seeing Brene Brown on Oprah a long time ago, back when Oprah still had her show. Mm-hmm. Brene Brown, who if you don't know who Brene Brown is, so good. But she made a statement that perfectionism is like a straitjacket. And mm-hmm. people who are perfectionists actually don't have any real friends or any real, real relationships. Because if I'm constantly projecting this image of perfection, and not physically, but like that I know everything and I don't need help and everything's good. And, you know, I never voice some of my true opinions because I don't want to offend other people. Or, you know, if I'm constantly putting this image of perfection out there, no one that really knows who you are. And mm-hmm. it is like a straitjacket. So why didn't I become a psychologist? Because I was afraid I'd fail. My mm-hmm. parents also didn't want me to be one. That's another part <laughs> of it. But Had my parents supported me being a psychologist, I still would have been afraid to not pass the GRE. Mm -hmm. And instead of like, why didn't I keep being a Spanish teacher? Well, a lot of the Spanish teachers were really mean and I was miserable in class all the time, but I was afraid, (laughs) I was afraid to study abroad. What if I didn't come back fluent? And I think that again, doing great work is super important, but if you're, if you're a perfectionist, it's actually going to get in the way. It contributed to me having burnout, which I'm really glad I acknowledged that I was burnt out and I left the workforce and I taught yoga. That was really good for me. But it probably would have been better if I could have learned how to not be burnt out and manage mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. again, it was me working so hard in a job and not taking care of myself, but trying to get my retail stores and the work I was doing in retail to be perfect. Mm-hmm. and try making an old navy perfect like <laughs> and they always look like a dump right so and it was like anytime I'd get an audit or a secret shop score if it wasn't perfect I would have extreme inner turmoil and I was never like in trouble like it's never like my boss was like hey you got a 4.8 out of 5 like we're gonna write you up it was never that but I was putting that on myself so I think that yeah I think for those out there who are a little bit afraid to fail or they've got those perfectionist tendencies, unpacking some of that mm-hmm. is super important because otherwise like you can't sustain it. Yeah. You it's might be able to sustainable. Right. Like you might be able to do your hair and makeup and take a perfect photo for five minutes, but you can't sustain perfect work. Like CEOs make mistakes. VPs make yeah. mistakes. Directors make mistakes and they keep their job. And because I was striving for this impossible result of perfection, it really led to my burnout, which mm-hmm. was super hard. I mean, I went from making great money 
to teaching yoga, which you don't make necessarily great money doing that, which is okay. But yeah, thankfully I was in a place that I had saved money and I could, I could do that without losing too much money. But being a perfectionist really held me back for a long time. And I think that if I still had those tendencies, I wouldn't be able to actually do what I do because, you know, things in HR don't always go perfectly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you may want an outcome to happen and it doesn't. And sometimes I'm an HR and I want HR to do something. (laughs) And HR tells me no. And it's just like, (laughs) what is happening? But if you're, if, if failing or if, you know, making a mistake is something that is a holdup for someone like that work needs to be done because it's going to lead to burnout. It's going to lead to like, I was always uptight at work. I was very serious and uptight and people didn't like it because I was fun at work. We don't have time for fun. Like this place isn't perfect. Like get it done. And people didn't really want to work for me. Imagine that. Right. (laughs) So that's what I would tell myself is like perfectionism isn't real. You know, the, the more you try to be a perfectionist, the less people are going to really know you because there's no vulnerability in perfectionism. And I realized it when I'd have a few employees who would come into my office and they'd say, Hey, I made a mistake. Can you help me? And I loved those employees because they were honest and they were vulnerable and they would tell me rather than find it later. And then I realized that I never did that even once. Mm-hmm. I never once told my boss, Hey, I made a mistake. Can you help me? I would try to hide it or I would try to fix it before they would find out. Not in like a lying way, but just, Ooh, I got to fix that versus saying, Oh, I did this wrong. And I fixed it. Um, right. It's a lot of stress to live with. It's a lot of stress chasing the impossible. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know, the way we're socialized to think that that is the end all be all. And, and that's deeply rooted in like our, society and how it's set up with like capitalist systems and our worth is equal to our productivity and how do we unpack that and unlearn that and understand that our health is also um, important and we have to take care of our bodies and our and our minds and everything and I love Brene Brown's work I'll link all of her books in the comments so you know um, yes (laughs) That's like where everyone has to start. <laughs> Gifts of imperfection, or watch her um, YouTube video on um, her yep. TED Talk. I mean, on so um, the power of vulnerability. I think it's called. Yep. And she also has a Netflix special. So if you don't feel like reading, you can watch something and like consume her in that way. And she has a podcast too. So um, she's everywhere. So definitely look out for Brene Brown's work on gifts of imperfection, vulnerability. That's her jam. That's her social, her, um, her research, her life's work. Um, But yeah, I absolutely agree. People ask me a lot, like what business books I recommend. And it's like, (laughs) do you want to be a great employee? regardless of your role, being a better human helps you do that. So like, I haven't read a ton of business books because reading like Brene Brown, like that has made me a better employee and a better HR consultant because I treat people like humans. Yeah. And so it's not that business books are bad. I certainly have some business books. Right, 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 right. But working on being a better human is going to make you a better boss and a better employee and a happier person when you're not at work, which matters too. Yeah, definitely working on yourself is not that, not that we're work. I want, hold on, let me rephrase that. 
working on yourself, but not in the sense of like something's wrong with you. Cause I, I personally believe that we're innately uh, have all the skills that we need and we just have to unpack, unlearn, like you said, unlearn your perfectionism or unlearn harmful things that we learned or toxic things. Um, it's very nuanced and layered, but um, if you're taking time to get to know who you are on a deeper level, that'll make for a better human, a better employee, a better everything. And understanding that we are imperfect beings, like we're not here to be like, what's fun in perfectionism, right? There's like, it's not fun. It's miserable. Like it's you're like, stressed out. <laughs> well, it's like, I can't do this project. Cause what if I don't do it right? And I can't, right. you know, go to the grocery store because I don't have makeup on and, you know, everyone's judging me because I have a pimple on my face or I can't try to be a psychologist because I, what if I fail? It's like, <laughs> What if you fail? Like feeling is normal. Yeah, it's part of life. And the faster we build that resiliency skill, the faster and easier yes. we're going to experience, I think, life to the fullest. Yes. And uh, Gabrielle Bernstein, I forget in which book she says yeah. this, but she says, um, oh, what is the quote? It's like, maybe, maybe it's failure is a detour in the right direction or something along those lines. Um, so basically saying that if you make a mistake or if you if you think you fail, right? Because that's also unpacking what is failure? What right. is success? Who gets right. to determine that? And where did you internalize that? Um, and maybe it's the best thing that could have happened to you, like a detour in the direction that you need to be going in your life. Um, so I love that. That's all the things well, we need to unpack. <laughs> And now a lot of when people interview, a very common interview interview question is, tell me about a time where you were working on a project or some kind of work and it failed or it didn't go as planned. That question would have completely horrified me in mm -hmm. my 20s. I would have been like, you want me to talk about a time that I messed up? Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I cannot do it. But that is a common interview question. And they wanna see that you're self-reflective enough to be able to mm -hmm. analyze what, or what went, went wrong and that you're comfortable sharing. Whereas like I wasn't. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, if there is anyone out there who doesn't know they're a perfectionist, if that question horrifies you, <laughs> you <laughs> might be a perfectionist. <laughs> Ooh, let's start there. <laughs> awesome. Any last words of advice or nuggets for our listeners? Well, I just want to say thank you for setting this up. This has been awesome. And I, I have a personal Instagram, which I don't mind if people follow. You just have to like dogs and meat. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and sometimes I drink wine and sometimes I talk about HR stuff too. Um, but if you want questions answered, if, if you really you know want to reach out, you can do that on my LinkedIn. You can do it on my TikTok. You can also do it on Instagram. I don't really care, but I'm happy to take questions. Um, I work for a national consulting company, so I'm not really looking for paid work, but mm -hmm. I do have a lot of scheduling flexibility. So it's totally fine for people to ask me a question or you know, want to do a little informational interview about what, you know, what HR is or things like that. So all of that is totally fine. Yes, I will link all of Molly's information in the show notes, her Instagram, her TikTok. We have to get her to a thousand followers so we can do a dual you live. Did close? I'm yes. Like, I was at 666 followers this morning and I was like, 
I need more followers because this number's creepy, but <laughs> now I'm at 668, so I'm getting closer. Yes. So if you're on I really just want to go live. I, that's, I yeah. just wanna go live so. That was my goal. I was like, I just want to go live. So even if it's, if I'm at a thousand for like the next 10 years, like I'm happy because I can go yeah. live. Like yeah. it's, it's not about the follower count. It's not about being TikTok famous. It's about, we really genuinely just want to demystify everything and teach and show, show up for your candidates or anyone on social media that are looking for this information. Um, because like Molly, I was also on the social medias was like, a lot of people are giving advice that I personally don't agree with and was wondering, is this, even appropriate. So be careful with what you read on social media. Make yeah. sure you're checking up on people, their LinkedIn, their backgrounds, where they've worked, where their experiences are, and do your research, my friends. Um, and make sure <laughs> we're going to do a part two so we can talk about research, LinkedIn, <laughs> and interview questions. I feel like we need to dig deeper. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> social media success has a lot to do with marketing and taking yeah. great photos, which those are skills. Those are totally skills. But just because someone has a ton of followers and they're giving pointed direct advice, it doesn't mean they actually have expertise. And it doesn't mean their advice is wrong all the time. And it doesn't mean that they're ill-intended. But as right. Delisi said, like we've both seen content where we're like, I wouldn't give that advice or I wouldn't give it in that way. I wouldn't present it as this is the only way. Right. I would present it as this is a really good way, maybe this, or sometimes it's a good way, watch out for this. And like Delicia alluded to, we've, <laughs> we've looked in some of the, some of those big creators backgrounds and they have zero HR or career, career coaching experience, zero. Like they were doing social media, this social media, that, and then they started their own company, which is totally awesome. I totally yeah. support that. But if I wouldn't want someone without roofing experience to roof my house, why would you want free or for profit, you know, for a fee advice from someone who's never worked in HR and never been a recruiter and never worked on a career coaching site ever, which we've seen. And it's, mm -hmm. it's you know, we assume that they're well-intended and they're sharing yeah. what they believe they know, but they present information as a, this is true all the time. And a lot of times it simply isn't. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to make sure you're making the best informed decisions and hopefully how we're presenting it is informative and you're um, feeling that we are sharing it in a way that you understand it and non-predatory. And if I'm being quite honest. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's hard to give a full spectrum of advice on like a 60 second TikTok video or a few minutes on Instagram, but right. we're both pretty careful to say like, you know, try this most of the time. It could be this, or, you know, from an HR perspective or from someone who helps people find jobs all the time, like this is what you see yeah. without presenting it like this little, like the common one right now is you should always ask this interview question at the end. And it's like, yeah. certainly not. No, <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of those in the last two weeks. And I'm like, huh, I need to make a video about this because clickbait. Yes and okay. no. <laughs> yep. Well, and it just comes back to like, not all HR people are like me. Not yeah. everyone is like Delicia. And some of that advice could work really well for me, but not for her. Or, you know, some hiring managers are like, oh, cool. Every candidate has asked me that question. 
great. Versus <laughs> asking questions that had to do with the interview that further demonstrate your value that showed you were paying attention and you're digging deeper. Like bringing canned questions because someone random on social media said you should. Like, does that sound like a recipe for success? No, <laughs> no. Right. And that's part of the interview process that we could definitely talk about um, in the part two more in depth, yeah. like what, what questions should look like, but really yeah. quickly, cause we're talking about this is you have to, that's where your discernment comes in, in the interview process. You get 10 questions that people suggest you, you have your own research from the company. And then it's like, okay, what's happening in the interview process? Like, what is the energy? What are the, they saying? How are you coming off? How are they coming off? And then you pull from all three to answer the question or, ask the question. So that's the skill that in higher education, we teach in career development, or I teach with my one on one clients or students, um, or sometimes free sessions in our face in my Facebook group. But that's the skill that people have to practice um, is discernment, you have to discern where, when and how. Um, But but being on a date, if you're out on a date, one, are you asking them totally random questions off of a list or are you having a true conversation and then expanding upon that? Like, right. um, like imagine being on a date and they're telling you all about their pet. And then all of a sudden you're like, what's your favorite ice cream? They're like, uh, you know, versus like having this natural progression of a dialogue where you're both getting to learn more about each other. You know, it's like those hard turns of like, Oh, cool. They just asked me like what my skills are. So I'm going to ask them how well I did. It's like, no, no. Like as you're interviewing with a business, you can pick little cues as to what they're wanting. Ask about that. Or as other people call it, like do a humble brag question. Like, Oh, you brought up, I don't know. You brought up, you know, really starting to use data recently. Well, at my last job, I was using data, you know, like this, is that something that would be valuable to you? Versus the random, like, well, what was your favorite ice cream? It's like, that's so out of left field. Like, that's such a great example. Yeah, that's what those like pre-prepared questions that applicants bring to interviews sound like. It sounds like you're on a date and you don't have a freaking clue what to talk about. So you just ask something random. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what it is. I love that example. So my friends, we have to practice dating and interviewing. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So we're definitely going to come back with a part two so we can expand on all these topics. Like I said, we're going to link all of Molly's contact information. She's not a scary monster. She won't eat you. Like, please take her up on an informational interview um, conversation. That's great practice. Um, And we'll chat in the next one thank you so much for having me you're welcome see you in the next interview my friends sounds good well there you have it my friends that is the episode of college and career coffee chats make sure you rate review subscribe like share tell your friends tell your dogs tell your family tell your co-workers tell your colleagues your mentors anyone you think would find value in this episode and this podcast and I hope you follow me on Instagram at Delicia D. Alarcon, on TikTok, TikTok Career Coach for some dancing, some free resources on YouTube at Deli Lingo Academy. And you can always check out the website for updates, DeliciaAlarcon.com, for coaching, support, VIP days, mini courses, free resources and guides. 
Everything's on the website, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. And make sure you join the free Facebook group where we will do trainings and hype each other up in the college and career hype crew on Facebook. All the links are down below. Let me know if you have any questions, concerns, and anything specific you want us to talk about on this podcast, any feedback you have. I'm always here to listen and learn. So until next time, my friends, cheers. See you in the next episode. Ciao.